Good afternoon and welcome to Jobs with Jody, a podcast produced by the NPCA's Global Reentry Program. I'm your host, Jody Hammer, RPCV Ecuador and Career Services Specialist and Job Coach with the NPCA. Thank you so much for joining me today as we, uh, you know, we have our monthly installment of our conversations with RPCV leaders in action. And today's special guest is Barry Moline, who's worn many, many hats in his life, including that very important one of serving as a Peace Corps volunteer in Guatemala from 1988 to 90. And uh, he has 25 years of experience as a CEO, and he'll be talking about that aspect as well of his life. In his current position as CEO of the California Municipal Utilities Association, he leads a talented team in working with publicly owned water agencies and electric utilities to keep the water flowing and the lights on for 40 million Californians. That's pretty impressive right there, Barry. Uh, During his 25 years as a CEO, he's learned a lot about management and leadership. And he also recently wrote a book divulging the secrets that help teams get along better and quickly collaborate. So today he'll also share from his expertise in team building and leadership, communication topics, um, surely topics of interest to, you know, most all of the RPCVs who are navigating their own careers or job searches. So with that, let's get started. I'd like to just welcome you, Barry. Thrilled that you're here. Thanks for being with us. Thank you, Jody. It's really great to be here and to have this conversation with you and all the RPCVs out there. Great. Can you go ahead maybe and, and kick off by um, just sharing a bit more about your career trajectory and how your own Peace Corps service impacted you know, your career? You know, I think about uh, my experience in the Peace Corps every single day, and, and probably that's because of the adversity that uh, we face as Peace Corps volunteers. I, I kind of joke when I talk to people about Peace Corps and try to boil it down to sort of a bumper sticker. You know, every day you get a bowl of lemons and you have to make lemonade. And uh, it's, you know, it's not quite like that every single day, but, you know, you have to figure out some problem almost every day. And, or even within a day, you think you're on track and, and you've got to, you know, change course or, or you know, juke and jive and figure out how to handle a problem that's come up. And every day, I I really haven't talked about this very much, but since I returned from Guatemala 30 years ago, uh, every day I wash my face in the morning and at night in cold water because we didn't have hot water. And it's a daily reminder to me of what life was like in the Peace Corps. And, And not so much that it was worse or or better it's just it was different and and life is different for people all around the world so you know there's there's a lot of things that i have to do even today you know that where i have those same kind of issues i have to persist um you know a lot of people are telling me no or or fia say that's not going to work uh and you have to be able to shift and so i think that peace corps experience is still with me, you know, all throughout the day, every day. Absolutely. You know, I always, I always go back to my favorite slogan for Peace Corps, which was the, uh, the toughest job you'll ever love. That was my, my favorite one. It was tough in so many ways. And yet it was amazing in equally those kinds of ways. And partly I think because of that adversity, right. Um, 
Yeah. So thank you. That's, that's wonderful. Um, I'd love to hear a little more about, you know, your own transition when you came back from your Peace Corps service, um, you know, and, and transitioning into a post, you know, Peace Corps employment, you know, did, did you know what you wanted to do already? Or how did, you know, how did your Peace Corps service maybe change that? And, and how smooth was your transition? When I returned from Peace Corps, I knew that I wanted to work in the energy field. And it was mostly because I already had a master's degree in, in it was called engineering and policy, but, but it was really my focus was energy. And then I had worked for five years in the energy field before joining Peace Corps. So I went into the Peace Corps at the age of 31 and gotcha. my wife and I, we were married. So, so we had, and, and she had her own Peace Corps experience as well. So, you know, I was already sort of on a topical track. I wouldn't say that I was on a career track. I didn't go back to the same company that I had left. Uh, but I knew I wanted to work in the energy field. So when I went back to Washington, D.C., where we had been living, we weren't sure that we wanted to live in Washington, but we knew that that's where, that's where our stuff was. That's where our couch was. And, <laughs> and our friends were there. So, you know, we had a free place to stay as we, as we you know, looked around. And, and, and that was, you know, 1990. So, uh, you know, there was no internet and the, uh, the way to, to network was to send out letters and to make phone calls, which I did. I sent out a lot of letters to, to folks, just not asking for a job, but asking for, you know, a meeting or a phone call just to find out what the organization did and to sure. understand if there was any opportunities that they were aware of from someone else. It was really just, you know, shoe leather networking, which is I, what you can yep. still do today. And I encourage yeah. people to do today. And they might use and, the internet today, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, there's, I, I, I can, I can tell you the, the way I would translate that into today, but I, I got a call from, uh, from someone who was head of a a major organization, the solar energy industries association. Uh -huh. And that was a big deal for me working in energy. And he said, come on in. And I thought, ooh, is this a job interview? Is this, <laughs> I, you know, I didn't know. I saw, you know, I got dressed up and went in and, and it wasn't a job interview. He just wanted to talk to me and to help. And That's great. We, yeah, it was great. His name was Scott Sklar and he's he's retired now, but, um, but I was kind of floored. And he really just kind of dug into what do you want to do and what was your Peace Corps experience like? And it, it, it floored me. But he, at the end of it, he said, you know, I think I know somebody. Let me call him up right now, and he did. And nice. and then that guy, the guy said, "Well, just have him come by tomorrow." So I went to the next day to the American Public Power Association, and you know, brought my resume, and they looked through it, and and this was the best part. So they they thought, well, this looks like a decent match, and they had me interview with another person on the staff, and that person was that an day? RP. Yeah, that day, and that person was an RPCV. <laughs> So, oh, awesome. yeah. So who we didn't talk about the job. We just talked about the Peace Corps. And at the nice. end of it, he said, well, you know, I'm not exactly sure what Barry's experience is, but as a as an RPCV, he's got the persistence and the grit to do anything. So let's hire Awesome. Him. That yeah. is great. Yeah, it was really cool. And, you know, and today, I mean, I, I've done that same thing with uh, a lot of people, people that contact me. I, I try to help them and counsel them in their process. Sure. I, I, it's not that I have jobs to offer, but I try to walk them through the process. And, you know, in terms of networking, what I find 
uh, as valuable is if you make a contact with somebody, it's, it's a balance between bugging them and, right. and, uh, and then staying in touch. And by staying in touch, you can, like, if you do it once every two months or so, you know, if, yeah. you're, if your job, sir, I mean, actually, it's good just to stay in touch over time. Right. And that is, you can look for articles or, or links right. to things that you say, hey, I came across something you might be interested in. And, you know, let me know if you hear of anything. And, you know, I, here's a, here's a summary of this article. And when somebody does that, for me, I'm interested to know what they've curated. And, right. and I appreciate them staying in touch. And of course, it keeps them top of mind for me. And if exactly. anything does come up, then I can help them try to identify a job opportunity. Exactly. I tell you, uh, you and I, I think we have the same approach. I, I absolutely preach the, you know, the need for doing that and, and sending, you know, articles that just would be of interest to them. Maybe when you met with them, you were talking about something completely not career related. Maybe they got a new puppy or something and you're, you know, talking about whatever. And then in a month or two, you, you know, find this great article on training puppies or training dogs and you can get back in touch with them and say, Hey, you know, it was so great to meet you, you know, at the whatever, you know, or chat with you, found this article on puppy training, thought you might be interested. How's it going? Like, that's a very personal, right, type of connection. And yes. it's so genuine that I think that's what really helps you uh, with networking. That is awesome. Thank you, Barry. In the energy sector, you said you had an idea of, you know, wanting to work in the energy sector. And, um, you know, you're obviously very familiar with that area because you now have 25 plus years or maybe more, right, in, in leading in that area. Um, there's a lot of RPCVs that want to work in, you know, many say the energy field, you know, is, is one of the areas they might want to work in. What are the best types of, you know, opportunities? What do you see as today's best opportunities in that field? And or, you know, the areas maybe, you know, of the country, that kind of information, I think job seekers would certainly be really interested in as well as, you know, maybe pros and cons, you know, of, of the industry and working in the industry. And that's a lot I just put out there, I realized. Yeah, well, that's okay. There, you know, when, <laughs> when I started and got my master's degree, people said to me, what energy, what, you know, like there's oil companies, <laughs> you know, renewable energy wasn't really a thing. Climate change wasn't a thing. Energy efficiency wasn't talked about. Just all the big issues that we're faced with today were just didn't exist. And, and in fact, I think there was a, an article in Time Magazine that talked about global cooling. So there was, um, you know, it just, it just wasn't a thing. And I remember my mom saying, I, are you sure this is a good idea? And I said, you know, I think there's going to be a future in the energy field. You know, I feel like it. And, <laughs> and so I just stuck with it mostly because it interested me. And, and I really was kind of focused on renewable energy. Solar was, was, you know, just, uh, was small, but growing. And I thought, you know, it, it seems like it's going to get bigger. And of course, it's a very robust field today. And I, I consider sort of energy and, and the environment. The If you hear any background noises, those are just do dogs uh, moving around right. me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a robust field today. Uh, oh, and as I said, uh, I consider energy and the environment to be very closely related uh, because so much of what we do in energy either uh, emits something so that there's, uh, there's pollution created, uh, or we're trying to reduce those emissions and make the environment better. So there's a, 
there's a strong correlation be, between the two. And today there's, there's so many elements of uh, just choosing energy. You know, there's, there's sales of, of things like solar sort of at the retail level, people putting solar on their homes. There's policy, if people are interested in that, that, you know, almost every state, I should say every state definitely has uh, activity going on and considering energy policies. I'm in California, it, which is uh, on steroids. And a lot of folks are looking to California and seeing how, how they do uh, or how we do. And then, you know, looking to either duplicate or avoid what we do, but, but learn the lessons. There's analytical type things, uh, you know, a type of jobs. If, if you're interested in just the numbers, uh, advocacy is a huge opportunity. There's a lot of organizations that are trying to push a certain agenda, you know, direct installation, research, uh, energy efficiency, of, and all these various technologies of solar and wind and batteries and storage. So the, sure. the point is that there's, so there's a wide variety, number one. And then two is, uh, this is probably the most important thing, is it doesn't matter where you start start somewhere, just get in the door and start on the lowest rung and, and then look around. It's a lot easier to understand what the industry looks like when you're in the industry than if you're outside trying to figure out what to do. Now, sure. just jump in with two feet, go in the deep end, uh, you know, do the job as well as you can. And then while you're in that job, evaluate what the situation looks like and if the path you're on is the, is the one you want to continue or if you want to shift gears, but it's easier to, to evaluate that when you're in the industry. That's great. And, and I think that's another important point too, right? With, in terms of when you're doing a career search or you're you know, working in an area, it's absolutely fine to change, you know, whether it's within that sector or completely outside of it. I mean, I, I don't have the latest stats on this, but the number of careers, not jobs, careers that people have during their lives today, right, as compared to it's just increased exponentially. And so I think it takes a little bit of that pressure off of people too, right, in, in some ways to find that one career that they're going to be in for the rest of their lives, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. So great. So, uh, Barry, you've had, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, a very rewarding career and, and a very rich career path. As you look back on that, what are you most thankful for and what do you wish you'd done differently in your own career? Any, any advice or, or mistakes maybe that you feel would help RPCVs to know? Well, let's see. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> a regret first. I, well, it's not so much of a regret and I'm not sure that I could have done this much differently, but I've had to move around a little bit around the country mm -hmm. in order to advance. And sure. I did, my wife and I did stay in one city, uh, Tallahassee, Florida, the capital, for 21 years where we raised our sure. two daughters. Uh, so that was good. We provided them stability, but we had to move around a little bit from DC mm -hmm. to. Tallahassee and now out in California and Sacramento. And I, I probably wouldn't mind have staying in the same city, you know, a, a yeah. same city. Uh, you know, my, my family has done that. My wife's family's done that. Uh, and, and that's, we see the, 
the benefits of, of doing that and being closer to family. We have to travel for holidays and so on and so forth. So I don't know if it's a regret, but maybe it's just an alternative kind of life that, that we look around. And I, and I actually, now I see my, my adult children are kind of doing the same thing. They're not afraid to travel They're They've seen the example of their parents and they're like, yeah, we'll, we'll move West coast, East coast. And, and, uh, you know, it's not a, not a problem. Of course, Peace Corps, you know, gets you comfortable with traveling. So. I was just going to say that yeah. Peace Corps makes you very comfortable with that kind of transition. So, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I don't think that I would have advanced without being flexible about my location. And so. maybe the future could be a little bit different with the way that work is, is treated in terms of uh, being in multiple locations. But usually... Uh, I would still imagine that an executive team is going to probably be need to be near each other or at least travel to each other frequently. Um, But I can tell you that I would not have advanced without moving around. The thing that I'm most appreciative of is, and this may sound kind of cliche ish, but I'm, I'm really appreciative for the, the people that I've worked with over the years. I've seen a lot of people and, and a lot of senior leaders who are uh, really genuine and really concerned about their organizations and the people in their organizations. And I was not expecting that. Or even when you look around and you, and you, you know, you, you see a lot of people that are leading organizations and you think, oh, they're just all about the bottom line. Uh, they're not. They're really about creating some kind of value for society. And I don't judge people. I mean, I, I talk to a lot of leaders. I, I have uh, a lot of members in my association that I talk to frequently. Yeah. And they're all trying to juggle the same things that I'm trying to juggle, you know, pay the bills, yeah. create opportunities for their staff, work for the people. And seeing that really has warmed my heart. And, and I'm appreciative for knowing so many people that have done that or are doing that. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you know, it, it's, it sounds, uh, it sounds like you've had a really, you know, good career and you've, you know, moved and you've been able to, you know, get up to the level you're now, you've been a CEO for uh, what, 25 years. Is that right? Yeah. 25 years, okay. which is, which is even a little surprising to me. It's not <laughs> what I was planning to do. Uh, you know, I, Actually, uh, what happened was I, I was working in that D.C. office, the American Public Power Association, and a job came up in Florida. And yeah. my wife and I sort of had two criteria. One was we had friends that, <laughs> that lived nearby. Yeah. Like, well, let's go visit our friends and I'll you know, have a job interview at the same time. And, and, the, second, and the second was uh, I was staying in the same field. I was working for publicly owned utilities. And, and I thought, well... I couldn't, I could advance and I, I wasn't sure if I could lead an organization. Uh, right. I wasn't the leader of the organization in, in DC, uh-huh. but I thought, well, you know, I'll give it a try. And then when I got the job, I thought like, holy crap, uh, <laughs> I think I'm the leader of this organization now. I got to figure out how to lead. What and, did the CEO do? <laughs> yeah, I, I really wasn't groomed to, to be the CEO. So, you know, I got I got some books on leadership. Yeah. And, you know, and, and uh, you know, bottom line was realizing that this is kind of funny to admit, but I, I sort of thought initially 
the the job was if you're not with me you're against me kind of thing and then i realized the really the job is about getting to know your people and understanding what their uh, desires are in life their goals what their families are about and trying to help them accomplish what they want and hopefully it's dovetails with the things that you're doing in your organization right. you know normally it does uh, and and if it doesn't, you try to help them move out and and move somewhere right. else. Uh, nevertheless, when, when I realized that a big part of the job was getting to know folks, and yeah. and then when they uh, when they understood what what the organization was trying to do, you know, sort of like that strategic plan kind of thing, then the uh, the chip started to to or the puzzle pieces started to come together. But I was not prepared. I definitely was not prepared, and uh, it. It helped to, I was 39, I think when I, uh -huh. when I became the, the CEO and it took me a few years to figure out, I, I got to set some organizational goals here and, yeah. and then that'll get <laughs> folks on track. And, and I'll tell you something that that has been probably the, the number one element of uh, success is setting that North star for the organization. Now, it, if you're in no matter what you're doing, if it's for yourself, you know, a person thinking about like, what do I want to do? Well, that's the same thing. Right. That's setting your own strategic plan. If it's, uh, you know, what are my goals? And, you know, having those goals, writing them down, even if they change over time, it's valuable yeah. just to say, what do I want to do today? And, uh, and if you're in an organization and maybe you're part of a team, you know, what, is, what do you want your team to do? You know, how right. does that dovetail with the organization? And of course, I've had to do that as the leader and then work with each department so that as like spokes in a wheel, everybody is working toward the same goal. Great. Well, and, and let's dig into that just a little bit more in terms of like the CEO. I, I already hear you saying how it's really supporting your team, right? And having them, you know, their own goals and hopefully those dovetail. And so it works together. And, and you know, that's that seems like a really good approach. Can you walk me through maybe what's a day in the life look like for a CEO? I'm, I'm sure it's very different, maybe in different uh, days, but in general, what, what does it look like? Uh, number one is juggling a lot of balls in the air, and yeah. I'm I'm involved in most every project at some level that our organization is doing, uh, and it's most important to be involved at the beginning. Uh, we have a staff of around 15 professionals that I work with, uh -huh. and they don't all report to me, but we have probably. 20 or 25 different initiatives that we're working on simultaneously. Some are more important than others. Some we have to get done sooner than others, but ultimately we are, you know, we're at some stage of those and, you know, people are in charge of those things. We, we uh, get together, we talk about what we're going to do on, on each one. And then as long as we're all comfortable, they just go off and start doing it and then check in with me once in a while to give me an update about what's going on. Or if there's a hiccup, if, if something happens, uh, you know, if a, I work in the policy area, so if a legislator complains or if a legislator says they don't like it, you know, then we have to, we have to be flexible and we have to be responsive and maybe, you know, shift the, what we're doing. So a lot has changed, for example, in the world, I work at a trade association. So a lot of 
we do meetings. Meetings have moved online, which is completely different from everything we've ever done. We always have met in person. So now we're, we're shifting to a new platform to be you know, doing you know, webinars and, and for our conferences. And, and that has challenged us in, in a lot of ways. You know, nevertheless, we just we talk a lot about those kinds of uh, changes that are going on. So uh, I sort of it, it feels sometimes like the topic changes every five minutes. Sure. Um, it, uh, but but that's kind of what I do in in terms of making sure that folks are on track. And when there are when there are problems or hiccups, we we get together and. Uh, and try to iron them out. And, and, you know, probably one of the biggest things that I've had to do as a CEO, and I think this is true of any level of management, is to make it okay for people to tell me bad news. And right. I, I've, I, I don't know, early on, I'm not sure exactly why uh, or how this happened. It, it, it probably stemmed from something in Peace Corps because, you know, I still hear that word FIASA, which means like, ah, uh, something's changed, you know, oh shucks, you know, we're, we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to make a change today. Um, and that is like, okay, well, I'm used to that. And I, we had an incident right. uh, a few years ago where, where I remember walking in the door in, uh, in the morning and my conference managers said, uh, we have a problem, Barry, you know, I think you need to sit down. Like, oh, this is, this is going to be a good one. No, just just tell me right now. It's okay. I'm I'm cool. I'm cool. Well, it was about six weeks out from a major conference that we were putting on for about 250 people, and and the hotel canceled our conference. Oh they, my gosh! They just they said uh, we have a better offer. So oh no. Uh, so I said why? I said I still remember. I was like wow, like, <laughs> like I don't know what else to say. Like wow. Well, let's get out the contract and see, you know, what, what's supposed to happen next. And then we, then we got the contract out. We sat down and we looked at the penalty clause and the hotel had to pay us a bunch of money and that they didn't realize. So, oh, so it was I like, it. well, you know, okay, you know, poop, poop happens. And, and then we just started searching for a new hotel and Had we six weeks one. out. Yeah, but we did it. We did it. Yeah. And, and it, it came together because instead of, you know, getting angry and uh, and trying to uh, you know seek retribution. You know, we just we just put our heads down and tried to focus on the solution. And yeah, I think you can do that anywhere in an organization. Uh, you know, we're constantly faced with adversity, and it's just a matter of like, okay, well, right. That, I wasn't expecting that, but let's see what we can do about it. And I, that attitude is a good one to have it. Uh, at any level, even if you're not managing people, it's still yeah. good to have that kind of an attitude of, well, let, let me, let me try to figure out this one. Yeah. I think a lot of that, um, a lot about that with regard to our evacuees, right. Who were in service and they were ripped out of their, you know, sites with maybe 24 hours notice. Right. And, and then, you know, come back to a climate that is so foreign to their, you know, world. I mean, you know, COVID and all of that. And just, I've been so impressed with the resiliency, you know, the resilience of the uh, RPCBs who've come back and they've just, you know, dug in and just, you know, looking and, and doing that in a really tough, you know, environment. And I, as I always tell them, you've got a great story to share when you are in an interview, when you're talking to people, you're not going to have to worry about your 
break in service being this time, like there's not any, anything, there's a gap. So absolutely. I, I, I agree with what you're saying about, you know, digging in and, and all of that. Thank you, Barry. That's, that's very helpful. Yeah. And, and, you know, Jody, the employers, when, when folks are looking for job, employers are less interested in the specific experience that you might have about, uh, you know, did you, did you have a certain degree or did you, you know, was your last job, you know, a manager or not a manager, or, you know, did you rise up through the ranks a certain way? They're less interested in that and more interested in, are you a good team player? And uh, I know that that's a soft skill that seems kind of strange. That is, uh, is like, but you got to have some level of knowledge about maybe the, the topic, you know, employers are less interested in knowledge and more interested in you not yes. poisoning their organization because <laughs> right. they, they've got a team that they think is working well, or maybe they want to make a shift to make sure that team is effective. Right. And if they uh, see you as somebody who's going to mess that up, then they don't want you. So it's, it's more important or at least really valuable to show your get along ability than it is to show how competent you are. People uh, you know, tend to minimize those, those soft skills. Uh, right, when, when I agree. Uh, years ago, we were hiring people for, for just their skills. Yep. And we Technical. made a few, yeah, we, we made a few bad hires because they were not get along, go along kind of people. And then we stopped. We just said, okay, people, you know, look like, looks like they've, they meet the bar here or they yeah. don't have half of the skills, but I think we can train them on that. But this person yep. is, looks like they, they're trainable and they will get along with our staff. And with every hire that we've done that, it's been a success. You know, a recent guest that we had on uh, the podcast uh, was talking about federal hire too, but but talking about we can train knowledge, right? We can get you up to speed on what you need to do and, you know, the specifics, but we can't train those transferable skills as much, right? It's hard to train you to be, you know, a good communicator. Not that you can't get improvement in it, but it's, it's like some of those soft skills are so important. The resilience, the attitude, all of those kinds of things. So great. Thank you so much, Barry. As a reminder, you're listening to Jobs with Jody, a podcast produced by NPCA's Global Reentry Program, serving the returned volunteer population. Today, I'm joined by RPCV Barry Moline, CEO of California Municipal Association and Leadership and Teamwork and Communications Expert, sharing lessons he's learned with RPCV job seekers and professionals. Barry, thanks again for being here. And uh, I'd like to move on to uh, your more recent work in the areas of teamwork, leadership, and communication that, that flows very well from what we were just talking about. Um, can you tell me, I, I know that you recently authored a book on the topic. Can you tell me a little bit more about the book that you authored on that subject, on those subjects, I should say, how did that come together and, and what lessons did you learn in the process? You know, as part of uh, my job uh, as CEO, I work with a lot of cities uh, and I was in Florida at the time and I sort of parachuted into a city. I mean, not physically, but I 
uh, had to had to work begin working with a city where I was not as familiar with the people, and mm -hmm. I was helping them with their local publicly owned electric utility, but they had all kinds of other issues that they were concerned about, like the dog park and the marina and what to do with the police department and so on. So they, you know, they had a variety of things that they were already engaged with, but I was just there to help them with one thing. And I had never seen a group of people just hate each other more oh, than no. this community. They just fought and, oh my gosh. and, and it was widespread. And in a moment of, uh, of uh, frustration, I was having a beer with somebody and I said, does anybody get along anywhere? And, <laughs> you know, we, we got our phones and started looking, you know, collaboration. Does anybody, you know, what organizations, communities, you know, what are some examples? Right. We, found a, we found a few. And like, like a lot of people do, they say, well, somebody ought to write a book about that. <laughs> you know, maybe we should. Right. And and we said, hey, let's do it. So we sat down together and we developed an outline, me and my, my friend, Mark, who was a journalist and, right. and a good writer. And we thought, you know, we'd be able to knock this out, you know, do some research and knock this out. And, and a few months into it, Mark, and of course, this is a book about collaboration, right? And a few, <laughs> Mark said, you know, I have another project that I really need to work on. And I want you to, to continue working on your book, Barry, alone. So I'm going to root you on, you know, keep going. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, and so he dropped out. And, oh boy. But, but that was okay. We had done yeah. a little bit of research and I was going to continue to, to do it and did it over time. You know, I, every time I traveled somewhere, I would go have dinner. I'd go back to my room and I would work for half an hour, an hour. And you know, all that time built up. It took me four years to put it together, but it, it finally did. And, nice. and basically, the, the, and the book is called Connect, How to Quickly Collaborate for Success in Business and Life. And, nice. and the, the, what I learned was, you know, it, the headline that I learned is, you know, the secrets to teamwork. And the secret is getting to know people. And the way you do that is by sharing personal stories. Mm -hmm. So that means I'm going to tell you some stories about me, but I have to pause and I have to hear stories about you. And right. sort of like the second element of sharing personal stories and connecting with people is sharing equally and yes. maybe even listening to other folks more than, you're, mm -hmm. than you are talking. And if you're doing that, you're having a balanced relationship, but you're also committing to hearing the stories of others. And, uh, you know, once you're doing that, and then th there's a third element to it that is sort of the last piece of the secret, and that is assume positive intent. And that is people are not out to get you. People want each other to succeed, actually. Right, in and general, we're, yes. We're, we're, yeah, we're in our own worlds, you know. I, I'm, you know, moving through and hopefully I'm doing okay, and you're moving through your world and hopefully you're doing okay, but. I don't wish anything bad on you. And I know you don't wish anything bad on me. So assume that others are okay with that. And the, uh, and that's it. So sharing personal stories, listening to others and sharing equally, and then assuming positive intent, assuming that, that people want the best out of you. That's it. And what I did is in the book, I found uh, 14 really cool case studies of 
companies, individuals, uh, nonprofits. There, there's a whole bunch of really interesting uh, case studies that right. were, were, these folks did it. And I, I tell those stories of what they did and they're, they're fascinating. Uh, I, I was kind of amazed and I still had a bunch of others on the cutting room floor that, uh, that I would have liked to include, but these are the ones that are the most powerful. And, and the, the point of, of it all is that they're doing those things. They're being intentional about working together and collaborating. It's not something that just happens organically. If you want it to happen, then it's good for a leader and it's a leader at any level to take the initiative to say, I need to get to know the people that I'm working with and I'm gonna to listen to them. I'll, I'll take my part in all that, but that's the, the foundation to uh, us. Then once we know each other, we can look at the big goal that we wanna achieve and we're gonna achieve it because we like each other. We like each other and we wanna do a good job for each other. And once you have that foundation, you actually can accomplish so much because people want to do a good job for each other. So it really comes down to, you know, going in, helping them to work together by telling their stories and getting to know each other more, right? So they're kind of more see themselves as a team and, and going from there. Is that, is that right? Yeah, exactly. And the more that we know the parts of the team, then the better we're going to function. I mean, you, you can look at this from a sports perspective as well. I don't really talk too much about sports, <laughs> but, but nevertheless, the teams that succeed or, you know, that, that win, you know, the, the NBA championship that year or the, or the Stanley cup or the world series, you know, they're the, the teams that it seems like these people are getting along. Well, it seems like they're, Right. Uh, you know, having fun. Well, okay. They're having fun, but they, they seem like they know something about each other. And they, the reality is they do. They've spent that time to get to know each other and to leave their lunacy at the door. And they focus on their mission. Having that foundation of getting to know each other is the, is the key to then accomplishing a bigger goal for, for those teams that, where there's a lot of um, discord and they don't know each other very well, they don't work together. And you can see how uh, that example, you know, can very easily lead to a team falling apart and not accomplishing their big goals. And by team, I'll, I don't mean just a sports team. I mean, any kind of team. If, you, if you've got a group of folks, uh, the individuals are not getting along together uh, it's hard for them to accomplish a goal. There's a lot of infighting and uh, gossip that goes on. And it's hard for people to try to accomplish a goal because there's not a lot of trust. So right. being intentional about sharing stories and you know creating that foundation of getting to know each other leads to the team then being able to accomplish a bigger goal. That's great. Wonderful. What, I guess, um, you know, the secrets in your, in your book, which I think you've already, you know, referenced probably several of them, um, you know, on, you talked a little bit about kind of leadership and getting the most effective, you know, uh, team. Tell me a little bit, like, what advice do you share about communications and getting along, you know, but, but communications in the, in the book? Is that, I mean, it kind of goes back to what you were just saying as well, I would think, but is there anything else you'd like to share on that area? You know, when it comes to communications, this is kind of a, a, a bizarre perspective, but 
I think it's really true. When, when you and I are talking, there, there are sort of rules of conversation. And that is, you know, you talk, I listen, I talk, you listen. But only one of us needs to know that. So if, if we're having a conversation and you're completely unaware of these ideas of sharing personal stories or talking about the same amount of time or those kind of things, if, you're, if you just don't even know that, you're just, it's just not something that's on your mind at all. But I know that. You know, they say it takes two to tango, but it only takes one. And that is, if I know those rules that are going to create a good foundation, then I'm going to really work on those rules. I'm going to ask you about your experiences in in Peace Corps. I'm going to ask you about your experience, uh, you know, in your job or or your journey, uh, you know, in your... uh, you know, where you've lived and, and your education and so on. Sure. And, and then, you know, I'm going to talk a little bit about me and I, you know, hopefully you'll ask a couple questions about that. But right. what I'm thinking is I want to keep this balanced. If I'm talking exactly. about me, I want to then shift the conversation back to you. So I know the rules. I'm going to, you know, make sure that we're being balanced. I'm going to make sure that we're being positive. And, and, and I'm going to make sure that I ask you follow-up questions, you know, to maybe dig a little deeper. You know, if I, if it's, when we're talking about sharing personal stories, we're talking about personal stories, you know, things that have made a difference in your life. So I want to know what's going on in your life. And I'm going to ask you, you know, like, why did that happen? Or how did you feel about that? And try to get more out of that. So uh, an important element of communication is not that, two people or even a group of people know the rules. It's only important for one person to know that it's key to have this balance. And then once you do that, you're holding the torch. You're like establishing the rules. Even if they're unspoken, you're making the organization work. And yep. that, that's, a, that's a key that not a lot of people realize it, that if you, if you know those rules, you can right. just implement them. You can just make them happen. And other people you know, they have no idea what's going on. They just know things are getting better. Right. Wonderful. Barry, thank you. And I think that comes around again to like the importance of, right, these kinds of skills, the, you know, leadership, communication, teamwork, some of those, you know, where oftentimes they're considered more of those soft skills, right? Like, you know, that are so important. And I think on that point, I'd like to allow actually Kathleen Corey, one of the audience members, to share just a point related to the soft skills and the foreign service, um, because that is so, it's, it's an area of such interest to so many uh, RPCVs. So Kathleen, you're, you're welcome to the end. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jody And Barry, I, I couldn't agree more with almost every single thing that you've said on this podcast. I just admire how you lead people, really. Every, almost every point you've made is something that I have in a long journey of, of leadership tried to, tried to embrace. Um, I, I work for the Foreign Service. I've been a Foreign Service officer for off and on for you know quite some time. Um, I'm president of Women of Peace Corps Legacy currently, but I also teach leadership. I teach leadership at the Foreign Service, oftentimes to ambassadors or deputy, deputy chiefs of mission. And one of the things that is very well known in the Foreign Service is that your point, you don't have to hire somebody or work with somebody based on their skills. You can teach skills. What yes. you can't teach is good judgment. Mm-hmm. 
openness, likability, getting along well with others, wanting to listen, all those things that you just laid out about teamwork Mm -hmm. and communication. You want a person on your team who comes with those soft skills because you can teach the hard skills. If people come with all those things, you're going to build a fabulous team. You're going to inspire them. You're going to have passion for the job. And all of that counts a lot more than being the perfect cable writer or the perfect person to write a speech or any of those things that the Foreign Service does. And so I just wanted to apply to you. Actually, in the Foreign Service, we, we call it quarter reputation. So as somebody, as somebody goes for their next assignment, because they apply for their, their next assignment of sorts, they put, their, they put their bid in for their next assignment. And what's right. going on behind the scenes, what's the person's corridor reputation? And it's everything that you just talked about with soft skills. So I want to applaud you well, for the whole pod, podcast, but that point really, really resonated with me. Thank Thank you you so much. Thank you for sharing that. I I appreciate that as well. So Barry, I'm I'm wondering, uh, are there, these are soft skills, and yet sometimes there are trainings, in addition to your book, for example, that does talk about the things, there are trainings, and I think in today's day and age right now with, you know, COVID and there's so much that's free, do you know of any trainings that could be helpful in terms of whether it's leadership or communication or teamwork, any of these concepts we've been talking about um, that could potentially help them, whether they're free or, you know, a, a, you know, a for, for a fee. But I try to focus on the free ones usually for RPCVs. You know, I'm not that aware of a, a lot of public training. Well, yeah. let, me, let me take that back. Uh, yes, there, there are. There, there are a lot and, and. But quality ones. <laughs> well, well, I, I think it's another element of what I do to sort of sharpen the saw as, you know, in the seven habits of highly effective people, the, the yeah. last habit is continuing to improve. And that is, I'm constantly aware of, of opportunities uh, around to learn a lesson and there are, there are conventional trainings in the world of work, uh, it, sort of a, a relatively uh, inexpensive uh, set of trainings are, are offered by uh, a group called Fred Pryor or, uh, um, you know, they're, they're, they're low cost trainings that at least historically were, were in communities, uh, you know, groups of 25 to 50 people would convene. Now they've moved online, but they have a lot of skill training and management and leadership and communications and those kinds of things. There's a lot that you can learn from yeah. TED Talks. And yeah, true. Ma- yeah. And Masterclass. I, I subscribe to Masterclass. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, I'm amazed at the kinds of, of training that's available through Masterclass. And, uh, and they're, they're very in-depth. Now, they are somewhat skills-based, but nevertheless, what I find is no matter what I'm watching, uh, in, in trying to do that intentionally is looking for just some kind of tidbit, some kind of element that I can implement somewhere. Sure. And, and if you're, if you've got an open mind about learning those kinds of things recently, I was watching a, it was just a YouTube video, uh, an MIT professor who was teaching how to give a technical talk and how I got to 
watching this thing. It was recommended by somebody. And I thought, eh, you know, let me take a look. And it was an hour long. Oh, and wow. it was, and I, I'll just say this, that uh, it was, it was both boring and fascinating. So it was boring <laughs> because it was like how to give a technical talk. And the guy was, was writing on a chalkboard. That's how, oh, how kind of boring it was, but it was also extremely engaging. And, and he taught two things and I'll tell you them, uh, precisely because I implemented them immediately in my next presentation and it had a really positive impact. And, wow. the, and the two things were, the first one was make a promise at the beginning of a presentation and literally say, I promise that by the end of this presentation, you will know this or something like that, but be intentional about the promise. Okay. You know, uh, sort of near the beginning of a presentation, we say, you know, here are my goals for the presentation. Right. Or here's the, the table of contents or something like that. Go beyond that and okay. say, here's what I promise you will be able to walk away <laughs> from and you'll be able to do. And then, I mean, you can, you'll recap that at the end. So you'll say, here's what you can do now. But that, that's, so that's number one. Yep. And number two is at the end, don't say thank you. It's like, what? Don't say thank you. <laughs> like say I salute you for taking this information and making this world a better place. Wow. So it, it turns the information from the presentation into action. So go out there and use this. And, and I did both of those things. And it, I felt it had like an inspirational difference in my next presentation. Nice. And you can, you know, it, it seemed like it was small, but I could tell that the presentation was, was more complete by using those two elements. So that hour long investment that I made right. in, in that presentation or watching that YouTube video, you know, it turned into a life changing uh, element for me in the way that I make presentations. Wow. And so you have incorporated that you've continued to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So constantly nice. be on the lookout, you know, uh, for self-improvement kinds of opportunities. I mean, I think that you can get conventional training, but you can always be on the lookout for other opportunities. I listen to podcasts constantly when I'm right. driving in the car or walking the dogs. And, you know, some, sometimes they're funny uh, and sometimes they're, they're serious, but there's almost always a lesson to be learned. Yeah. And, and that's really valuable to try to continue to improve. Oh, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. And um, I, I'm going to end here. I have two more questions I think I'm going to ask you here, and I want to certainly uh, respect your time as well. How do you suggest incorporating uh, the transferable skills into one's resume? It, it's key to, to say that you're a good team player if you're a good team player. So a lot of folks don't identify that on their resume. And it's sort of like the, the kind of things that, that Kathleen was talking about. Uh, you know, you don't want to necessarily say you're the best cable writer, but you do want to be able to talk about how you faced a, you know, a difficult situation mm -hmm. and, you know, had to shift gears. And, you know, by talking about dealing with adversity and what's going to happen is you want to, the purpose of a resume is to get an interview. And then in the right. interview, you want to be able to describe how things went. Remember, and in an interview, the goal of the interview is, is 
not to talk about how wonderful you are, but it's people are evaluating you to see how you're going to fit into their organization. So when you're able to say, I'm flexible and convey that in a resume and, you know, we went down this road and had a shift to, you know, another, uh, you know, another goal, like for example, coming home early, um, you know, what, what kind of impact was that? It's okay to talk about that because employers want to know more about the person that they're going to hire. So, so describe those kinds of, of elements in, I just didn't do this job, but I did this job and here are some of the things that I had to deal with. And right. if you include those elements of having to shift gears, having to deal with a changing environment, that changing environment is all about the world of work. So conveying that in your paragraph and talking about uh, what you did in your job, you know, having a sentence or two yep. in there about it is really valuable. Yeah, I talk a lot about um, using the skill statements like demonstrated excellent da, 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 da skills in and then going into what you had done. So that's that's great. That goes along with it. I would like to close by asking if you have any final thoughts, Barry, uh, thoughts or advice for people who are looking to be more effective in their professional life or their job search. Yeah, there, there's one I think that would resonate well with RPCVs, and that is to volunteer. And by volunteer, I don't just mean giving your time in the community. That's one element that you should always continue to look around for. I, I I continue to volunteer my time, but volunteer at work. When something comes up and the, uh, the organization is looking for people to help out on a special project, volunteer to, to help if you can. And even if you can't, if you've got a little time, you know, just, you know, I'll be on that committee. Years ago, they needed volunteers this was 30 years ago. They needed volunteers in my organization to be on the holiday party planning committee. And That's I did so not fun. want to do that. Yeah, I really wasn't into that. <laughs> but I thought, you know, I'll get to know some people from around the organization. You know, maybe it'll be a good thing. And it turned out that the CEO of the organization was really into the holiday party and wow. came to our meetings and was totally engaged. And I got to know him really well. And nice. then he helped boost my career and uh, in That's ways great. that I would have never imagined. So by, by volunteering and, and engaging and offering your time in a variety of ways, you'll make connections that you never knew existed. So that's, I think, is, is probably, uh, you know, good life advice. That's excellent. Wonderful. And a very good note to end on. That brings our Jobs with Jody podcast to a close. Thank you to our distinguished guest, Barry Moline, for sharing life and career lessons learned during your impressive career and your areas of expertise in leadership, teamwork, and communication, and all of the soft skills we've talked about, really. And to you, the audience, for listening in, you can always find this and other Jobs with Jody podcasts on Spotify. Um, you could always go there and just search for Jobs with Jody. And I think I'll end with a more or less direct quote from or, or learn something I learned today from our conversation with Barry. And that is, I salute you for taking this information 
that you've gained today from Barry and going forth and making the world a better place. Have a great day and go forward and make that world a better place. Bye-bye now.